Welcome back to Sister Alley Cast T, where we talk about all things church related. And guess what, guys? We are back with 1 Timothy. We are here learning how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the church. Actually, I believe we are relearning it. <laughs> yes, we are, because when we first uh, gave our lives to God, we learned it then, and I believe that we are relearning it because the Lord wants us to uh, go back and uh, learn um, what it is uh, to be a servant of God and to be a Christian in the church world. Listen. The church scene has changed so much over the years. And because we just came out of the book of Amos, where God let us know basically that we are in a time of judgment. The nations are being judged. That means the people of God's judgment starts at the house of God first, basically. So God is judging his people as well as uh, the sinner man. So we... As a, a human race, humankind, mankind, we are being judged by God. Because let me tell you, Jesus is soon to come. So we got to get ourselves in order. We have to walk righteous before God. We have to uh, repent of our sins, uh, our bad ways. You know, we have to renounce what we have done, what we are doing right now. We have to renounce that stuff. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to forgive those who have uh, hurt us, who have come against us, who have trespassed against us. The Bible tells us if we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive those that have sinned against us in order for God to forgive us. If we do not forgive those who have sinned against us, God will not forgive us. You know, we learned about that in this uh, series of uh, forgiveness, unforgiveness. So go back and go over that series because let me tell you, we are in a time of judgment and God is not taking any prisoners. Listen to me, God Excuse me. God is not taking any prisoners. If you do not want to be judged, hear me. You have to release all of those things that will put you on the wrong side of the chalk line. You want to be on the right side of the chalk line. You want to be on the right side of God where he is happy and pleased with you. You do not want to be on the side where he is angry and mad. Listen, we do not want to fall into the hands of an angry God. Why we know that God is a merciful and a loving God. And we also know that he is a God of consuming fire. Listen, we can go to the book of Daniel, and I believe it is chapter 7, where Daniel began to um, have a vision, and he was in heaven, and how uh, God sat on his throne, and there was fire. There was fire emanating from his throne. There was fire all around us. I mean, it was just fire everywhere, and we know that God is the God that answers by fire. We can go into the book of Kings and we can hear about God answering by fire with Elijah and the prophets of Jezebel and the altars and how God sent his fire to destroy the altar. We we serve a God that answers by fire. So we do not want to be on the receiving end of God fire. Now let me tell you, it's a devouring fire. It devours. It's a consuming fire. It consumes. It's a roasting fire. It roasts to ashes. Listen, we do not want to be on that side. So I um I implore you, I ask you, I beg you to go and Repent if you have not already done so, because we talked about this in the book of Amos when we went over Amos that we need to be in a season of introspection. We need to 
inspect ourselves. We need to see what is on the inside of us that is not pleasing to God. And we need to get rid of it. And rather it be pride, haughtiness, arrogance. If it be unforgiveness, if it be mistreatment of others, if it be uh, uh, whatever it may be, self-pity, uh, doubt, unbelief, disobedience, rebellion. We want to get rid of all of that because we want to be on the side of a loving God, not a God that is a consuming fire. So here we are in the book of First Timothy, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy about the church and how the church people, uh, the uh, congregation are supposed to conduct themselves. And listen, let me tell you, I believe that God is sending us back here it's almost like going to the beginning. It's going back to our first love. It's going back to the foundations. Why? Because we have gotten so far away from the foundations of God. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm not telling you what I don't know. I'm telling you what I know, what I've been through on my own accord. I have found myself so far from God so far out of his will so disobedient and so rebellious but let me tell you God had patience he waited for me he was patient with me he loved me just that much that he waited for me he waited for me to turn away from rebellion. He waited for me to turn away from disobedience and running from him. I'm going to tell you, I was just like Jonah. God told me to do one thing and I turned and I went in the other direction. I did not want to do the will of the Lord, what he has called me to do. But let me tell you, God waited for me after I went through some stuff. And let me tell you. When you go through some stuff and you're rebellious and you're prideful, you know, you want to keep going. You want to keep doing what you want to do. But God is right there with his finger on that. His finger is on that unforgiveness. His finger is on that pride. His finger is on that disobedience. Yes, God's finger is right there. No matter how we try to hide it, how we try to uh, say that, um, uh, I'm delivered or it's done and I'm not doing it anymore. God's finger is there. He knows the heart of man. He knows what is on the inside of man. And listen, God waited for me and he will wait for you. He will wait for you to shake it off, to get it all out of your system and and, and just give your whole heart to God. Just surrender yourself to God. Surrender everything that you have. Be it natural. Be it spiritual. Surrender everything to God. And you will find yourself on the right side of the chalk line. Yes. And I believe that we are right back here at Timothy learning how to conduct ourselves. We're right back to the beginning because we got so far away from God. The church as a whole is so far away from the will and the things of God and God is bringing us back to the basics. He is bringing us back to the principal things. He is bringing us back to how we conduct ourselves in the church. Can you believe it? We are all the way back to how we conduct ourselves in the church. Why? Because we are so far from God's original plan for us, his original purpose for us. And he wants us to get back to where we are supposed to be in him yes we are and glory be to the lamb of god now we've already went over first timothy the first chapter and we went through the beginning of second timothy we talked about prayer we talked about god's perfect will and god's permissive will and now we are going to get into the instructions concerning men and women in the church. Listen, Tim, Paul is teaching or uh, instructing Timothy on what he would have him to do because Paul left 
Ephesus. Uh, uh, Paul was in Macedonia and he wanted Timothy to stay at Ephesus because there are false teachers there. They were teaching false doctrine and Paul wanted Timothy to take care of that. Take care of that. Nip that in the bud before it gets into the congregation and cause confusion, cause controversy, cause speculation and accusation, causes questions. Paul wants Timothy to nip that in the bud so that the gospel, the truth can go forth and flourish in the congregation. And now we are here talking about uh, men and women in the church and how they should conduct themselves. And I want to give you a disclaimer here. If this does not apply to you or your church affiliation, there is no need for us to get upset at the word of God. There's no need for that. Why would we get upset with the word? You know, consider ourselves as one who has been in contact with true doctrine. Yes, true word of God. We don't get upset about the word. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we're going, that's just a disclaimer. We're not going to get upset with the word because Paul taught some hard things. And let me tell you, these are some things that Paul taught according to the gospel. And these are some things that Paul taught according to him as an apostle. I want to make that clear because when I begin to read the word, Paul began to say, I would not do this or I would not do that. He did not say Jesus Christ. He said himself. So we have, when we read the gospel or we read the Bible, we have to really take every word into consideration and there will be no controversy. My God from Zion. Now let's get started. Paul specified, listen at this, Paul specified what he wanted the men everywhere to lead uh, that he wanted the men everywhere to lead the congregation in prayer. These, this is Paul teaching Timothy how to instruct the individuals in the church to make it a uh, church at the God's own heart, if you will, to make it a, a congregation um, that loves God and does the things of God. So how one of the things that Paul wanted in the church at Ephesus and everywhere, he wanted the men to lead the congregation in prayer. Paul said that. I want the men to lead the congregation in prayer with lifted up holy hands, clean hands, undefiled. So those that lead us into prayer, they have to be clean, undefiled hands, lifting up their hands unto God with no sin. Yes, you can lead us into prayer because why? We want to go be, uh, go behind the veil, basically. We want to get into a, um, a, a right standing with God. We want to get into a close relationship with God. And Paul wanted the men to do it. So uh, they, they had to have clean hands. And basically, they had to be without sin, without wrath or doubting. Having sound relationships, no anger, and no disputing. So these men, they had to conduct themselves in a certain way. And, and with the Holy Ghost, hey, this will be all right, all done perfectly when the Holy Ghost is on the inside. Paul said with holy hands, with clean hands, undefiled hands. They lift up their hands unto God and they bleed the congregation into prayer. Then Paul turns to the females. Paul said he wanted them to show their beauty by dressing in appropriate clothing, which are modest and respectable. Okay, so we're at church and this is how Paul desires the women to uh, dress themselves. You know, in Ephesus, there were many uh, people with, um, I guess I could just say many rich in the church. They were rich people. And sometimes when you're rich and you have many things, you uh, can find yourself wanting to uh, show out or wear things so others can 
look at you and admire or look at you and covet. So Paul was like, you know, the women have many dresses, basically. But I want you to dress modestly and respectable. He said their beauty will be shown by what they do. Not by their hairstyles, not by braided hair and gold jewelry and pearls and all of that in their hair and not by expensive clothes. No, that don't use that to show your beauty. Your beauty will be shown by what you do, what you do in Christ, what you do in the church, what you do for God. Then your beauty will show forth. He said, this is this is the proper thing for a woman who claims to have a reverence for God. Basically, listen, listen, basically, they should not emphasize their external appearance appearance or their external body but their internal they should dress modestly with decency and propriety not drawing attention to their bodies that's 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 what Paul is talking about instead of showing beauty on that show show your inner beauty you don't have to dress provocative you don't have to dress in certain ways with uh, uh, expensive clothes and things of that nature so others can look at you. There is a quote. I have a quote here. The source of modesty is one's heart or inner character. Listen at that. The source of one's modesty is, one's, is, is your heart or your inner character. That is, modesty is the, mod the outward manifestation of an inward purity. If you are pure on the inside, it's going to show forth on the outside. So these terms that Paul used suggest an appearance that is simple, moderate, and free from ostentation, which is a display intended to impress others boasting and bragging so like i said before you know people that there were people at ephesus that were rich people in the church and paul was he was he was handling that he was touching on that he don't want you to come to church you know to impress others dressing to impress others to boast and brag on what you have on your um the blessings that God has blessed you with. Don't do that. That That is not even right now today. And it's not right to, to dress in a way that you want to uh, boast and brag about what you have. Listen, let me tell you. It don't matter about what you have because you can't take that stuff with you anyway. We're just sojourners in this land. We, this is not our home. Earth is not our home. <laughs> we're we're traveling. This is this is a part of the. This is a stop on our destination on our journey. It's just a destinational stop on our journey. Our home is in heaven. And listen, let me tell you, you cannot take no fine dresses, no pearls, and all of that stuff with you to heaven. And let me tell you, that became very very clear to me. I mean, very clear to me when my mother passed. At the time, my mother was living with me. And my mother was a fine dresser. She had the jewelry, the shoes, the whole nine yards, beautiful clothes, everything. Hats galore. My mom was a church goer and she wore her hats. Let me tell you, hats to match every outfit just, just. She had it. When she went to church, she was dressed to the T, as we say here. She was dressed. But let me tell you, when my mom passed, all of those clothes and all of those things that she had was right here. And I had to deal with it. Let me tell you, I couldn't do it. I could not do it, but that's a whole nother story. I couldn't do it. My sister had to do it. But let me tell you, it came so very clear to me 
about uh, uh, natural items, things. When we leave here, when we die, those things are left right here upon this earth. We cannot take it with us. So that's why we don't want to value. We value. Yes, we value. But what I'm saying is we don't want to get into a state where we make it a God. We make it more important than God. We don't want to get in that state. Listen, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves in that with the wrong, excuse me, with the wrong mindset. Paul said the terms used, the term suggested an appearance that is simple, moderate, and free from ostentation, free from boasting and bragging to impress others. The specifics Paul mentioned are not wrong in themselves. Listen, the, the braided hair and the pearls and, you know, the, the jewelry, the nice clothing. He said that's it's not wrong in themselves. What is wrong is when it becomes inappropriate when they indicate misplaced values. When the values of having these things or wearing these things or dressing this way, the, the, the value of it is misplaced. And in my words, my words, not the Bible's word, in my words, what is the motive? What is the intention behind how women dress? What is the intention? Oh, come on, somebody. Okay, come on, you females out there. You know what I'm talking about. When we dress, there, there's a certain dress that we dress or a certain way that we dress that we want attention. Then there's a certain way that we dress that we can care less about attention. You know, there's different ways that women, we as women dress. The motives behind how we dress. We could be dressing just, you know, to look good, to make ourselves feel good. Because a lot of times we don't feel good about ourselves. So we dress up so we can feel good about ourselves. It, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's just because we want to feel good about ourselves. There's a time when we dress because we want to be noticed. Yes. Oh, come on now, somebody. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And then there's a time that we dress. We, we don't care. We just don't care how we. Hey, I don't care what you got to say about what the way I look. I really don't care because you don't put food on my table. That kind of attitude in the way we dress. Come on, somebody. Come on, go with me. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there and you have done that. So Paul is mentioning these things because he don't want them to have misplaced values behind how they're dressed. Now, next, Paul emphasizes godly conduct for women by stressing the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Listen, let me tell you. <laughs> Ooh, you can have some brawling women in the church. You can have some busy busybodies in the church. Yes, you can have those type of women in the church. Paul is saying the godly conduct for women by stressing the unfading beauty. There's beauty in gentle and a quiet spirit. He said the females in the congregation should receive instruction. Listen, hear me, hear me until the end before we get all carried away. Hear me until the end. Hear what the scripture is telling us. Hear what the spirit is, is speaking unto us. Females in the congregation should receive instruction from the male leader with quietness and full submission. This is what this is how Paul is teaching the people at Ephesus. Listen, in verses 11 and 12, you see the word silence. But listen, silent doesn't mean complete silence or not talking in this scripture. It does not mean that. What does it mean, Sister Alley Katz? It means settle down, means relaxed, undisturbed, means peaceful. And not unruly, agreeable. So Paul is saying he wants the women to learn from the men 
Because listen, come on now. Back in those days, the apostles, they mainly, mainly dealt with the men. They taught the men. And you hear of some women, some women um, that the apostles dealt with, but mainly you hear of the men that they dealt with. So let's not get it twisted. Let's not uh, act like we don't understand how it was back in those days. Yes, we are not very far from those days when, I mean, it's not very far when women actually here in America had a, uh, um, were allowed to vote. So it's not many days gone. Listen, let us not act like we don't understand what Paul is talking about. He wants them unruly busybodies to sit down somewhere and, and listen to what the men have to say and learn the scripture. Learn about the Bible. Learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not to be uh, uh, unruly and disturbed and, and, and settled. You know, he don't want all that. He wants you to sit down and learn. Not meddling with the affairs of others. That is what Paul is talking about. He's not telling you to be quiet and not say anything. He's not telling you that. And as we continue to go on, Paul began to say women must learn the principles of their religion. You have to learn. You have to learn about Christ. And we have to learn the scriptures. I'm putting we in there because I am a woman. Even back in those days and back and now today. We have to learn. We have to learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, but here Paul is telling these women that they must be silent. You know, basically agreeable and unruly. Submissive and subjective while in the process. They have to learn from the men. They have to learn from their husbands. And they can't be just all over the place, all meddling in, in everybody's business. No. And Paul would not. Now listen, the Bible said, Paul said, I would not permit. Paul would not permit a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man. Yes, that's what the Bible said. Paul will not permit a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man. This is Paul's uh, uh, instructions. These are Paul's instructions. And he also gives a reason why he says that. Paul says the reason given or the reason given by Paul was because Adam was born first. Yeah, Paul did that. And Eve, then Eve, out of him, to denote Eve's sub subordination to Adam and dependence on him. She was made from him to help, to be a help meet for him. Yeah, Paul went there. That's why, that was the reasoning in Paul's mind, why he would not allow women to teach or usurp authority over men. Of course, usurp authority is a no-no because we know that the man is first. We know that. I mean, Paul is telling us, uh, reminding us here. And we already know that if we know the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we are learning the gospel of Jesus Christ, kudos to you. You are learning that women were made from Adam. God took a rib from Adam's body and made woman and he made her to help him. God made woman to help Adam. He made Eve to be a help meet for Adam for those who do not know. Yes. And Eve, Paul kept, he continued with his explanation Eve was the last in the creation. Yes, she was. Listen, God had made the animals. He had, he had made the earth, you know, the waters, the seas. He had made the sea creatures. He made the animals on the land. He made every, everything. Then he made Adam. And then he made Eve. So Paul, Paul is like, yeah, she is the last in the creation. <laughs> Listen here, she last. She don't come before man. She's last. But she was the first 
in the transgression. Listen at that. Paul is teaching us something here. And this is the mindset I can feel the mindset that Paul had concerning women. If you don't feel it, I want you to go to this scripture and read it for yourself. Yeah. Eve was last in the creation, but she was the first in the transgression. It was Eve, yeah, who bit the forbidden fruit, basically, the apple, if you will. Thus her sentence, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And we can find that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, around those parts. You can read it all, but verse 16 is the major one. Yeah, so Paul went there. Paul said, I don't want a woman to preach or usurp authority over man. Why? Because Adam was made first. Eve was made last. She was the last thing created, basically. But she was the first one to transgress against God. So, and her punishment from God was that she shall be uh, her, uh, she shall be the desire of her husband, and he shall rule over her. So this is when you get into that women shouldn't preach and a woman can't preach and all that stuff, <laughs> all that controversy, all those questions. And Paul tell us about that earlier about those false teachers you know just babbling just vain verbiage stuff that don't even make no sense that's not even uh not even promoting the gospel of jesus christ it's not even doing the work of the lord tell it because there are other scriptures that can say listen this woman or we can talk about mary uh, a lot of people say Mary was the first one to be, um, what do you say, an evangelist or what have you, that when Jesus, Jesus, when she saw Jesus, when she was coming from the tomb and Jesus gave her a message, he told her to go tell the disciples that he has risen and listen, where were the disciples? They were hiding the disciples back then were disciples, which turned into apostles, apostles. They were in hiding, but Mary is the one who had to deliver the message to them that Jesus has written, risen. So, you know, it's, it's controversy there. It is a lot of controversy, but we are not here to add on to controversy. We are here to see what the word of God says, see what it is, apply, how we can apply it to our lives. If, um, listen, Hey, I'm teaching. I'm a woman and I'm teaching right now through this podcast. So there. <laughs> but listen, also, this was Paul's. Um, how do I want to say it? Paul's ways or what Paul wanted to come forth in the church at Ephesus. This is what Paul wanted. And we must apply the scripture to the time that they were living in and to what a woman was in that time frame. A lot of times we just take the scripture at face value and we do not apply it correctly. We do not apply it to the time frame, what was going on at the time that the scripture was written, you know, who were, who women were, you know, what role they had in the home, what they, what role they had in society. So we have to take all of those things into consideration when we read the scripture. Okay. So the caution that Paul was making here was against the overdoing of display of dress, specifically in Christian worship, and also against becoming too much like men. Yes, Paul did not want the women to be like men. He wanted them to continue to be beautiful women. 
he wanted them to basically stay in their place, if you will. <laughs> That's what I see. But he wanted them to stay beautiful, beautiful on the inside, which will exude to the outside. And he did not want them to become like brawling men basically that's that's the way i want to put it that's not what the scripture said but that's the way i am breaking it down for me and you stay beautiful and not be a brawling woman <laughs> now we go on to first timothy chapter three we are moving along here today what can we find here in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy? Paul now turns to the matter of leadership qualifications. Yes, leadership. Leadership in the church. Now there's another disclaimer. Disclaimer again. If this does not apply to you or your church affiliation, there is no need to get upset at the word of God. Consider yourself as being one who has been in contact with true doctrine. Listen, we calling it as it is. We reading it, reading it as it is written. That's how we doing it. Yes, we are. Now these instructions are concerning elders and deacons. Now, Paul wanted to encourage respect for the congregation's leaders. Therefore, he had two implications. It is valid to aspire to be a church leader, such as bishop or bishop or overseer. That's number one. And the church... And that church leadership is a noble task. Yes. So Paul wanted to say that right out of the gate. It's, it's, a, it's valid to aspire to be a church leader. And church leadership is a noble task. Now, the term overseer sometimes translated into bishop. So that's why when you hear someone call their leader a bishop... You may hear somebody call their leader an overseer. Now, there are several different terms used for church leaders, such as elders, rulers, leaders, and pastors. And all of these terms describe a different facet of leadership. Because, you know, you can break them down and you can see what a, a certain individual or what the role of that individual is and here today we're going to break down the role or we're going to see what Paul has to say about the roles of an elder and of a deacon. Now the office of a bishop or a bishop if we will the office of a bishop requires more than mere willingness to serve. We are going back to the principles, my people. We are going back to the foundation. God is saying, get back to your first love. Go back to the beginning. Go back from which you cometh. You have gone too far now. The office of a bishop requires more than mere willingness to serve. Paul lists 15 requirements for a bishop. And we're just going to go through these briefly. Personal and family. Uh, above, uh, above reproach. A bishop must be blameless in his behavior. Having nothing in one's conduct which someone could ground an accusation. So a bishop has to be blameless in his behavior. Do you know a bishop <laughs> that's blameless in his behavior? Do you know a bishop that you can place blame on? If you can, that's why God is bringing this word. Because we have to go back to the basics. A bishop should be above reproach. Blameless in his behavior. Paul said he has to be a husband of one wife. 
Why did Paul say a husband of one wife? <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Paul is basically saying literally he has to be a one woman man. Just one. Not two, three, four, five. Just one. Virtually all commentators, listen at this, agree that this statement prohibits both polygamy and promiscuity. Yeah. So do you think polygamy was going on back in those days and promiscuity? Well, at the church of or in Ephesus, I would say yes. Now listen, listen. I want you to Google Ephesus. The original church of Ephesus. Google what went on in Ephesus. Ephesus. Back in Ephesus, back in these days and these times, the things that went on in the city. And then you will understand why Paul was saying a husband or one wife. No polygamy and no promiscuity. However, there are several interpretations of why Paul made this statement. For example, the phrase prohibits anyone who has been divorced and remarried from becoming an overseer. Now, I'm going to leave that to your ethical compass. Yeah, what say you? What do you say about it? Hmm. Yeah, it prohibits anyone who has been divorced and remarried from becoming an overseer. What say you? Yeah, I'm gonna move on from that. But yeah, that's that that's that's what the word of God says, and that's what the commentators suggest. Now listen, the commentators, you know, the people that are interpreting the Bible, they are suggesting that this is why Paul made this statement. They do not know why. Paul made this statement. They could only suggest why. Why do I say it? Because they were not living back in those days. They didn't. They can't call Paul up on the phone and say, listen, Paul, why did you make this statement? No, they cannot do that. They can only suggest or, or come to uh, 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 think, think about what Paul was saying back then. You know, try to uh, surmise or come up with something. To why Paul said a husband and one wife. They really don't know. But you know. Some things are common sense. And some things you just have to dig a little bit deeper in the word. to And try to figure it out. But you know the Bible tells us some things that we just, we just won't know until we get to heaven. Yeah. And we just won't know until we get there. So one, I'm going to leave that alone. A husband and one wife, but which I, I believe that is uh, absolutely right because he shouldn't be around here having two, three, four, five wives and he shouldn't be in promiscuity if he's going to be a bishop of a church. Okay, now all of that other stuff, I'll leave that to um, those who wanna, want controversy and want to quarrel and want to have questions. Okay, he has to be temperate. He has to be well balanced. He has he has to be level headed. He has to have self control, a sound mind. He has to be respectable. He has to be modest, hospitable, generous to guests, able to teach is a major one. To be a bishop, you have to be able to teach. You have to be have the ability to teach the scriptures. You must be able to. Or he must be able to understand and communicate the gospel truth to others skillfully. And he must be able to refute. He must be able to invalidate those who mishandle the word of God. So yes, a bishop must be skillful in teaching and communicating the word of God. And he must be able to shut those down who mishandle the word of God. Yes. Not giving too much wine. He can't be a drunkard. Not violent. He can't be uh, going around fighting folk and, and beating up his wife. No. He has to be gentle and fair. You know, everything is fair 
You know, you look at a situation with fairness and you you um, you lead with fairness, not quarrelsome, always fighting and carrying on, abstaining from fighting. He's got to abstain from that. Not a lover of money, not greedy for money. Listen, listen. <laughs> we see a lot of that today in 2022. When the bishop is... Riding these fine cars and fine houses and uh, jet airplanes and all that. And and the congregation is poor. No, no. Paul said that's a no-no. That is a huge no-no. Not greedy for money. Paul also said, man, he's got to be able to manage his own family well. Listen to me. Paul's specific focus here was on the children. The most reliable means of determining the quality of one's leadership is by examining the behavior of their children. Listen at this. Do they respect their father enough to submit to him? (laughs) Proper respect does not refer to the children's submission. Listen at that. Proper respect does not refer to the child's submission, but to the manner in which the father exercised his authority. Yes. If you can't handle your own house, how can you handle the church? That's basically what Paul is saying. If you have success in your family, you're going to have success in the church. Why? Because the church is your family. You are a leader. You are a father to many children, to a congregation. If you can't handle your own house, if your kids are unruly and disobedient and rebellious, how can you teach me to live for God without being disobedient and rebellious? And your own houses, your your kids rebellious, your kids disobedient, and you telling me what to do, and you can't even tell your kids what to do, and they pay attention to you. So do you think I am going to pay attention to you? Of course not. That is what Paul is saying. How do you think the congregation is going to listen to your leadership capabilities or your leadership skills or what you are telling them to do as a leader and your kids are 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 doing everything that they're big enough to do your kids are out of control no those people are not going to pay you any attention they're not going to want to follow you they're not going to listen to you they're going to be looking at your kids and saying wow he can't even lead his kids So that is a major, major one. Paul focused on the children. Did you get that? Did you get that? When he talked about them managing their family well, well, he focused on the kids. If your kids are unruly, you, you, you can't be a leader. You can't be a bishop. Why? Because you can't even bishop your children. This is what Paul is saying. Success in a family may well indicate success in the church. This individual cannot be a recent convert. I got saved today and I'm a bishop next week. Of course not. Lest his rapid advancement into leadership fill him with pride and conceit. No, that individual can't be a bishop just like that. That will puff him up. This is what Paul is saying. We are going back to the basics, my people. We are going back to the beginning. Wow, this is deep. Paul said how they have to have a good reputation with outsiders outside of the church. 
church leaders are constantly susceptible to the snares of the devil, which we know the devil is always after your leader. So um, make make it your business to pray for your leader, because if the if the head is sick, like I say, then the body will be sick. Or if the devil kills the head, then the rest of the body is dead. If the devil takes out the leader, then the church will scatter. So pray for your leaders. Always have your leaders in your on your prayer list, basically. Pray for them. Now, church leaders are constantly susceptible to the snares of the devil. The enemy likes nothing better than to disgrace the people of God, especially leadership. Ain't that the truth? Scandalize your name. <laughs> Put you out there. Make all kind of false accusations or make true accusations and, and because they want it to come out. But then that's that's just the work of God. But yeah, they got to have a good reputation outside of the church. And we are talking about bishops here. Now, these characteristics are prerequisites for those who would lead others into these Christian virtues. Yes, we are talking about bishops. Now, we're going to go quickly through deacons and we're going to call it a day now just like overseers deacons must be men of quality they must be honorable the role of a deacon is to administer the temporal and material affairs of the church so that the elders can give themselves over to prayer and ministry of the word Excuse me. The spiritual qualifications of the deacons are essentially the same for the overseer. So that list of 15 qualifications that I just went over for the overseer are the same qualifications that are required for a deacon. Now, a deacon must be men worthy of respect. They must be serious men of dignity. They must be sincere in the sense of being honest and non-hypocritical. Not saying one thing with one person and then going and saying something else with somebody else. Yeah, that's that's what a deacon's supposed to do. Yeah, not saying one thing with me and then coming over to you and saying something else. No, that is not the way of a deacon. Listen, just like the overseer, deacons cannot be heavy wine drinkers. They can't be drunkards. They can't be greedy chasers after dishonest gains. They can't be greedy for money either. Most importantly, deacons must be men of spiritual depth. Yes. Yes, they should hold fast and understand the depth, the deep truths of the faith. So they have to know the word, the gospel as well. And they have to be able to break it down. The depths of truth, they have to be able to break it down. They must practice what they profess. You're a deacon. Yeah, you got to be able to break down the word. If, if God forbid the overseer... Something happens to the overseer and you got to lead for some reason. You have to know the word of God. The deep, deep truths of God, of the faith. Now, these men must prove their quality over time in the ordinary activities of life and ministry. They must be tested. So Paul is saying these men just can't, you just ain't going to, they can't just be a deacon dry long soul. They have to prove themselves over time. They have to be tested for, of their quality. They have to be tested. They have to prove themselves. They have to prove their quality of being able to walk in the office of a deacon. And additionally, a deacon must also be a one-woman man and a capable manager of his own family. So, yeah, that is 
got to be those things are a must for a leader in the church. You got to be a one woman man and you got to be able to handle your own family business. Because if you can't handle your own family business, how on earth are you going to be able to handle the church business? Yes, that's coming from Sister Alicat. Also, their wives, listen at this, to be a deacon. Also, their wives have to be worthy of respect, not slanderers of others, and well-balanced and trustworthy in everything. Yeah. So even their wives have to be uh, up to par in order for them to be a deacon. Man, we are back to the basics. The basics of Christianity. The basics of the church. Paul writes these things to Timothy for guidance as a spiritual father, as a spiritual leader. So yes, we are done with 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is getting it done. He is telling Timothy what to, he is instructing him. Actually, he's charged him about the false uh, teachers in the church. He wants those to be shut down. He's talked about how he wants the men to come in and, and, and basically start up the service with holy hands lifted up to pray over the service. The women, you know, dress modestly, don't, you know, come into church looking like, a snack. <laughs> that's that's one of the words of the young people these days. Looking like a snack. Come to church looking, having your outward appearance looking like you want somebody to look at you basically. No, not that. You want your inward beauty, your inward purity to show forth that where you love God. Let that come forth. You don't have to do all of that dressing to... Um, Show have other people to look at you, uh, to brag about your expensive clothes and your expensive items. Yes, and um, he also want the women to be silent when they're learning, and not meaning silence as you can't talk or you can't speak. Silence as being agreeable and submissive and listening um, wholeheartedly, not being unruly and meddling in everything of the church. A woman should sit down and learn. Why? Because she was the last thing created, as Paul has let us know here. And she, Adam was created first and she was last, but she was the first to transgress. Therefore, her punishment was that she was going to be submissive to her husband. So that's where Paul get all of that. And we must realize we have to think about the things of the church of that era. We have to think of how... Uh, things went back in those days when it comes to men and women and the household and how um, women were supposed to be toward their husband. But listen, listen, don't get it twisted. If you are married, you are supposed to be submissive to your husband because it is correct. Paul is correct. Adam was made first and Eve was made second. We Eve was made for the help meet of Adam women were made to help the man women were made hey listen to the vows if you went by the traditional vows yeah you are there to help your husband not to be a brawler not to be always up in his face and just just keeping something going on no that is not your purpose in a marriage your purpose is to be a help meet for your husband. Help to get this family off the ground. Help to uh, get this family going and to be a prosperous family and be a, a God-loving family and just to be a joyous family and a family that does the will of the Lord. That's what you are supposed to be as a wife unto your husband. And that's just a few things. There are many, 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 many more. But hey, we are not talking about that on today. And Paul comes all the way down and we talked about the elders and the deacons and the 15 uh, things that they have to be before they even can be considered to be a leader in the church. Paul is taking us back to the foundation 
back to the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ, back to the first love. Why? Because the church is out of control. I will say uh, um, my um, it's just my thoughts on the church scene as of today in 2022. The church is out of control as a whole. I'm not saying every church is out of control. I'm saying the body of Christ is out of control as a whole. Either we're not doing um, the things of God as we should do, or we're doing too much. As they say today, we're doing extra. We're doing too much and not the simplicity, not just just being a husband of one wife and 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 you know being gentle and fair and uh, temperate and all of those things. It's just a whole lot going on in the world today. And like I said, we've been through Amos where God spoke judgment upon the nations, and now He's bringing us over here to Timothy. To take us back to our first love, take us back to the to the principles, the, the the foundation of the church. I wonder why. Think about it. Why is God doing that? Because we're so far gone that He's got to bring us back. He's got to reel us in, as I love to say. He has to reel us in as a people, as a body, as His people. He has to reel us in and say, "Listen." You got to get back to the basics. You got to go back to your first. I have something against you. You have been weighed in the balance and you have come up wanting. I have found you wanting. You have to go back to the basics. I have taken out uh, my plumb line and I am measuring. I am showing you how crooked you are, how off you are from what my heart desires. The heart, the desires of God. We as a body in Christ, we as a church are so far off from what God desires us to be. And that's why I believe that he has brought us here to first and second Timothy. So we can go back and we can remember our foundation. We can remember because the foundation is already built. The, the foundation is there. The only way you get rid of that foundation is as you if you rip it up on your own accord you and and cast it away but that foundation is there and the house can be gone the building can be gone but the foundation is always there and you can always rebuild on that foundation and get to where God wants us to be so listen God is taking us back to remember our foundation, to remember what we, what he built upon in older days, where he came from, the foundation, that first love, that first teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we did everything in our, everything that we knew how to do to follow after God, we stayed out of all kind of, of, of controversy and, and, and all kind of stuff that will get us actually in trouble with God. We stayed away from that. We eschewed that stuff. We eschewed evil. We stayed away from evil. And we stayed in the face of God. We stayed on our knees. I'm just giving you a part of my testimony. This is how I came up. We stayed on our knees. We stayed in prayer. We stayed in the word of God. We studied the word. I remember being in college in my dorm room. I, I didn't even study my, my, my homework. I was so into the word of God that I would not even study my homework. All I did was read the Bible. I remember those days and God wants us to go back to that time, those those things are those ways that brought us close to him, that made us uh, made him. He's already in love with us, but made us in love with him. He's taking us back to the foundation, my friend. Yeah, Timothy, First Timothy. We've already done verse uh, chapters one, two, and three. 
And on next time, we will start with chapter four. Remember, First Timothy only has six chapters. Yes, yeah, so we will be done with this in a snap of the fingers, if you will. Once again, I want to thank you for listening to Sister Alley Cat's Tea, where we talk about all things church-related. Yes, all things church-related. And at this time, we are talking about the book of Timothy. We just finished Amos. If you have not listened to the series concerning the book of Amos, I admonish you to listen to that because God is judging his people. We are in judgment here in 2022. The nations are being judged upon this earth. Listen to me. God is done. He is done with it. He is so done. He's brought so many things to get our attention as a people as mankind upon this earth he's did so many things to get our attention and a lot are rebellious and he's like okay let me handle this i'm gonna judge them and we are in judgment and thank god we're not in the judgment like the days of noah when he wiped out everything (laughs) but we are being judged god judges he judges When he gets tired, you can read in the Old Testament over and over and over again. His chosen people, they will sin against God and do evil and worship idol gods and just do all manner of things. And God will give them chance after chance after chance after chance. And then there will come a time when he was like, okay, I'm going to judge you. It's time for judgment. And that is what happened in the book of Amos. He judged his people. And we are in judgment even as we speak. But God is sending us back to our foundation so we can get it right. We can get it right. And we can end up on the right side of the chalk line. <laughs> Thank you for watching or uh, listening to Sister Allie Cat's Tea. You know, I'm tired now. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to Sister Allie Cat's Tea, where we talk about all things church related. And guess what? I love you guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Uh, goodbye.